Amen. Uh, let's give Jesus a hand this morning. Wow. Thank you so much, worship team and worship choir. Oh. Awesome singing this morning. Well, if you have a Bible, if you would, find your place in Psalm chapter 1. And while you're making your way to Psalm, I want to remind you that our bulletins are in our main lobby, so make sure you grab one of those each week. Our prayer list is in there. Also, if you remember last week, the Brenner family was with us. They are our missionary of the month, and so we want to be praying for our missionaries, all of them, but specifically the Brenners. And this morning, they are in a church trying to get more support so they can get on the field. So be praying for that meeting this morning, that they would be supported, and for the upcoming meetings that they have here in the next few weeks. Before we jump into our message this morning, I want to extend an invitation. If you're watching our service online this morning, we want to thank you so much for watching. But we have people from all over the country tuning in, different parts of our country in Florida and different states. And, but most of you are watching from right here in our area, our church family. This weekend that we are, we are in right now, it marks one year since we made the temporary decision to go online during the unknowns of the coronavirus. And some of you who are beloved parts of our church family have not been with us in person since that day. And so as your pastor, if you're online watching, I want to lovingly call you to come back to church. If you are worried or you're concerned, I completely understand and simply encourage you to do exactly what you would do when you go anywhere else. Wear a mask, wear two, let people know that you're not hugging or touching. Everyone here is going to understand, and everyone will give you space. But if you're a part of this body, our body, if you call West Hill your home, we want you to come back. I know for some of you it feels like a major task, and I hear that. But one thing I know, if there's ever a risk worth taking, it's being here together with us. And if there are a few of you who absolutely cannot come for severe health reasons, then disregard this plea and continue to watch online, participating in whatever ways you can from home. But the majority of you who are watching online have shared with me and our pastors and our staff that it's just been difficult to make that jump to come back to church. So I hope this has simply felt like a loving nudge to those of you who are waiting. We love you, we miss you, I love you, and I miss you, and we're all here, and we're waiting for you. And I think if you come try it out, you'll be surprised at how good it feels to be in this room again with so many people who love you, and it's electric in this room. All of us learning together and worshiping together. I've prayed and I've waited until God led me to the right time, and now on this one-year anniversary of, of since we've last seen many of you, in love, I implore you to come back and worship with us. So I hope to see you next Sunday. Well, last week we started a short two-week series called Choices. In Psalm 1, we see two groups of people here. There are two choices that are given to them. One group is people who are friends of God, and the second group is people who are enemies of God. And we saw a specific challenge last week to not walk, sit, or stand in the way of the ungodly. Verse 2, it encouraged us to, to delight in his word or to delight in him and meditate on his word. Choices. 
life is all about them. And when we delight in him, we will be blessed. So if you're there in Psalm chapter 1, we're going to read this whole text together again, as we have already done during our our responsive reading. And we're going to focus in on the second half of this text today. But verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We are surrounded by wickedness every day. And there is a reason for this. Satan, who fell from heaven because of his pride, got to work on his new mission of leading people away from the Creator. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden by following Satan and allowing him to deceive them and eating the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they brought judgment upon themselves and all of their offspring. Their offspring includes you and I. God created Adam and Eve pure. He created them spotless and free to choose love and free to choose obedience. But once they instead chose to rebel, they were now stained by the curse of sin. Of course, we, we know and we praise God that he, in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, he made a way for them to be forgiven But it didn't rid the world of sin's presence. Wickedness, evil, has been in the storyline of humanity ever since. And most of us know this. We believe this as the church family. We know our Bibles. We know this to be true, that everyone has sinned against God as all sin is against him. And that's what matters most. That we are born sinners separated from him. This account highlights the doctrine of original sin. We see this in Romans 5, which we will be studying here in just a few weeks in a series called Dead or Alive that will kick off on Palm Sunday. But it tells us in Romans 5 that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all have sinned. Before the law in the Old Testament was even given, from Adam all the way to Moses, Death was reigning. We have all inherited a wicked, sinful nature. And the penalty for our sin is death and separation from God now and in eternity. Just saying that sentence, it feels awful. But thank God for the rescue that he gives those who put their trust in him. That's what the first half of Psalm 1 is all about. And not a single person other than Jesus has ever lived a sinless life. He was not only born of man, but of God. He did not inherit this sinful nature that we battle 
every single day. And although he was tempted in every way that you are and that I have been, he did not sin. You and I, on the other hand, we battle our sin nature, and we will battle our sin nature until we finally reach that final resting place in heaven. But we do see all throughout the Bible that we can pursue holy, righteous, set-apart lives. We can be set apart from this world through the living word and the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. So we finished up our time together last week with a, with a positive message, a reminder that, our, that we should plant our roots deep and next to streams of water. To delight in him and to meditate on him and his word. Then we will bear fruit and we will not wither. But our text today takes a slight turn. Verse 4 continues with that second group of people that I referenced last week. The wicked. So let's look at verse 3 real quick as it leads into verse 4. It says, To the righteous person he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. But, verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The writer here, he changes gears pretty quickly with an alternative that we need to keep that we need to keep all in our mind. Now, chaff is not something that we talk about very often in our church or in a culture that we live in, and it's, it's not a common word in most of our vocabularies, but chaff was, was often used in the Old and the New Testaments to describe things that are worthless. Chaff is that protective coating that is on the outside of the wheat kernel. And it has zero value once the crop is ripe. After the wheat is harvested and after the threshing process is over, the wheat would go into a storage facility and it would be used for food. And all the remaining chaff, all, the, all of the other stuff, the plant, would be blown away by the wind or destroyed. It has zero purpose. You'll never get zucchini or my favorite silver queen sweet corn or any other vegetable that you may love from anything called chaff. That's for sure. It's not good for anything. And that's what we see with the wicked. That godly people, they live in this world with ungodly people, but there is coming a day when we will be separated permanently. Verse 5 continues to lay out for us what happens to the ungodly. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. We see again this same word pop up that we saw last week, wicked. These people will be judged as guilty based on their actions. They stand in their godlessness, but they won't stand in the end. Psalm chapter 9 verse 16 says, The Lord is known by his acts of justice, and the wicked are ensnared by the work of their hands. The wicked will not stand in judgment. Now most scholars agree that this is referring to eternal judgment. 
This is because they are chaff. They are dead. They can't stand in a righteous position before the Lord. They are separated. When a person stands in the judgment, they won't be able to go back and they won't be able to fix missed opportunities to turn to the Lord. Can you imagine the feeling, uh, that feeling of regret? We, if you know Jesus, you won't ever have to experience that. But can you imagine that? That they, the wicked, will be sentenced to their final destination. It's a destination. It is an eternity that is void of God. And it's forever, and it's a place the Bible calls hell. And it's a place that is created for Satan and his demons. And that is where God is going to pour out all of his wrath on sin. 2 Thessalonians 1 says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. In Hebrews chapter 9 it says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Verse 5 says, the last part, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. God's people will have the great privilege of standing at the judgment. Now, sinners won't stand before God the same way. Of course, you and I, we are going to give an account for, the, for our lives and our actions on this earth. But the penalty for our wicked sin has already been covered by the blood of Jesus. He is our living hope. And by God's grace, many choose a path other than wickedness. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. In Psalm 37, verse 18, the writer says, The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. The Lord knows the way. This is called his omniscience. He knows and he sees everything, and most importantly, he knows us. He knows you, and he knows me. And today, when he looks at you, and when he looks at me, when he looks at us, does he see you as wicked, or does he see you as righteous? 2 Timothy 2, verse 19 says, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. I want to go back to our psalm. It says, the wicked will perish. This is a reminder that this earth is not all that there is. That there is an eternity that is coming for every single person. Those of the past, those who are living right now, and those who have yet to be born, everyone will spend eternity somewhere. Do you know someone who needs to hear that reminder today? Maybe you need that reminder today. As a Christian walking this planet who seems to have zero desire 
to live righteously. Maybe you need the reminder that somebody, that everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. Will they be with you? Is an important question to answer. Revelation 20 verses 14 and 15 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Those two verses, verses should concern us. For our salvation and for the salvation of others. That Jesus came and his purpose was to serve, not be served, and to seek and to save the lost. And that should reflect our hearts as well. That should reflect your heart and my heart as Christ followers. And this should be a reflection of West Hill Baptist Church in Worcester, Ohio. In fact, we should reflect the Savior's heart. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, the Lord, is, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He will judge the sinner, but thankfully he is merciful. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy. It could also be translated as the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Our God is full of mercy and compassion. Christian, if you know Jesus, we're not home yet. You've heard the phrase, we're just passing through this lifetime. We have not reached that final destination. And many of your loved ones will be there and praise God for that hope. But this home that we have to look forward to, that you get to see some of your family again in is not the home for the wicked. The wicked will not be there. And don't let that term wicked throw you off. Make no mistake, this isn't about measuring one person's good actions against another person's bad actions. This is not about good works. It's all about the heart. Those who have refused to repent and turn to Jesus and believe the gospel, those who have rejected his rescue will not be in this amazing place made for us that is filled with beauty and nature, meaningful work, creativity, architecture, all of the beautiful things that we can't even imagine are in that place. And for Christ followers, heaven is a wonderful, wonderful place. And it's a much-needed hope for the future. And we are a part of this great congregation that Psalm 1 is reminding us of. Of people who have given up their rights and followed the Savior. That Christians who have delighted in Him will reflect their faith to the world. And this entire message comes down to one simple challenge. And that challenge is this. Are we a missional church? Are we a missional church? That Jesus sent his people, if you read the New Testament, he sent them out to do the work of proclaiming the good news of the gospel. 
We cannot become a church that bickers and fights about non-essentials. Or one that gets entangled in legalism and all of the drama that's attached to it. We don't have time for that nonsense. We have a job to do. We have work to do. We have to be a people. We have to be a church who is delighting in our Savior because He is a living hope. And we need to live lives that honor and glorify Him and point everyone back to Him, not to us. We must be a missional church. In the book of Acts, we see a group of believers on mission. I dare you to read the book of Acts and not find your heart lit on fire. If you need some inspiration to follow Jesus and to be about his work, read Acts. They were a part of a missional church. Teaching his word, proclaiming the good news of the gospel, worshiping together, they were serving, they were praying, and we must be about those things. A missional church is focused on eternal things. And I think that it's important to refocus and redirect ourselves now and then to keep the main thing the main thing. If you were in Pastor Sick Sunday School class, I said that about five dozen times this morning. Because it's extremely vital to keep the main thing the main thing. Especially after a year where our attention was drawn in so many other directions. And it's by no fault of our own. We, we find ourselves living in this world, right? Sometimes life happens. And we, we get... We get a bit off track. But as long as we're still on this earth, we have time to course correct and get back on track. And so today I want to take some time to remind our body, our church family, of our core values as a church. We have seven of them. We don't talk about them a lot, but they're hanging in several places in our building on the walls. They influence everything that we do as a church. There are seven of them if you missed that. We grow or we belong, grow, connect, give, serve, train, and send. And three of them are clearly needed in order to be a missional church. First, we belong to Christ by faith in him alone. He is the foundation for a missional church. Not our programs, not your opinions, and not the past, and not the future. He alone is the foundation. And then we train. We imitate Christ by equipping others to be disciples. That's what we're doing right now. Equipping. That's what every Bible class is all about. That's what our children are doing right now. That's what our students do on Sunday nights and at Elevate Weekend and during camp. That's what VBS is all about. Equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. But that's not where it ends. Then we send. We share Christ by proclaiming the gospel to the world around us. It's important. Our mission as a church is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. This involves evangelism and discipleship. And we've done a pretty good job over the years at discipleship. 
And we've got to continue to grow in that area. There's a lot of things we could do, and it's more about relationships. We'll talk about that later in the year. But evangelism is often the part that struggles the most. Not, not just for our church, but most. Churches tend to just get lazy and apathetic. You come in on Sunday, you check off your 60 minutes, you say all the good Christianese types of things, and you go back to work on Monday. We're all guilty of that. And we can rejoice in the fact that eight people have passed from death to life this year inside of our church family. That's awesome, but we're not done yet. I shared this in, Sunday, in Cedric's Sunday school class. There's a lot of people in Wayne County who are still living dead. And you work with them. You live next to them. You pass them in the hallway every single day at school. Or maybe whenever you go back to school, I'm not sure what's going on there. But they're everywhere. There are dead people walking everywhere. Look around. There's a lost and dying world who desperately needs to hear the hope of the gospel. And until Jesus returns and calls us home, our mission to proclaim the gospel to all people will not change. Now, most of you received one of these on your way in this morning. How many of you received one of these this morning? If you did not receive one of these, would you slip your hand up because our staff is ready and they want to get you one of these. So if you, if you didn't get one, it's required today to have one. So I don't care if you want one or not. Put your hand up and we're going to get you one. So flip your hand up. We'll grab one. There's one over here on this side, guys. I got Josh in the balcony. So just keep your hand up, and we're going to get you one of these this morning. But I want to take a moment, and for anyone that is new to our church, I want to quickly explain to you what the One Campaign is. It is, it is our focused effort of evangelism. It's one Savior, one person, one day at a time. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 Paul tells us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of the time, and let our speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. And here's what we asked every church member to do, and this was all the way back in 2019. We've talked about it off and on since then. But what we asked each and every person to do was identify one unsaved person in your regular circle or influence to pray for and seek to share the gospel with. This could be someone that you work with or you even live with. It could be a next-door neighbor, a family member, a classmate, someone that comes to mind and who you have regular chances to interact with. This is not a complicated or elaborate idea. But this simple plan is a focused plan of taking the gospel out and to people who need it. It doesn't mean that you gear up the courage just to tell some stranger about the gospel, although that's good, and then you're done. This is a prayerful, 
effort of considering your entire relationship with another human being and taking into account the many times that you see them and you have conversations. And of course you want to explain the gospel and share the hope of Jesus with them, but this is not a street evangelism type of approach. This is all about the long game. That this looks like purposefully finding ways to fit Jesus into everyday conversations that you're having. It's finding ways to to fit Jesus into your discussions, asking really good questions, giving good answers, and researching those questions if you don't know the answer to those questions. It's okay to say, I don't know. It drives you into his word so that you're prepared, as as Peter tells us, to give an answer for the hope that is within you. If your best friend at work is a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim, you might want to do some legwork, though. That one's going to be challenging. But I'd argue that this long game is actually a little more challenging than just walking up to a stranger and telling them about Jesus. Because this process of the one campaign, it's going to take wisdom, it's going to take discernment, it's going to require some planning, And considering their background, and it's very important element. We have to be relatable. You see, no one wants to have a faith-based conversation with a jerk. Uh, Amen, right? If you're a jerk, get nice first, and then talk about Jesus. Your testimony plays a huge role... And the gospel's impact in our community. So I want you to think about your relationship with the person that God has already laid on your heart. Maybe two years ago he laid on your heart. Or maybe it's someone new. Do they want to talk to you? Maybe you do need to repair a relationship. Do you need to take and do your part to rebuild trust to make amends for any unchristlike behavior? Because that's a really cool tool as well with the gospel keep your heart soft and allow god to work on you in this area if needed so inside of your prayer guide you're going to find a card and on one side it says who is my one on this side it says who is my one and then there's a blank line so who is your one who is that one person That God has impressed on your heart today. So I want you to take that card. And if you have a pen, do it now. Write that person's name on this card. If you've been doing this initiative with us for some time and you already have a one, rewrite their name again. We want you to recommit today. I'm going to rewrite the same name. On mine because I'm not done yet keep it in your Bible keep it in your desk put it in your pocket put it in the dash of your car I don't care where you keep it but don't just slip this somewhere where you won't find it Let their name be a visual reminder every day that they have not passed 
from death to life yet. And it will challenge how you live your life each and every day. You will live differently if you know your one is watching you. Our testimonies are important. Do you have to participate in the one campaign is a question that I get often. Of course not. But why wouldn't you? Maybe you are somebody who walks around and you just constantly share the gospel. Very few of you are doing that. I'm, I'm not just walking around constantly sharing the gospel. So why wouldn't you participate? Any Christian at any stage can start today with the people who are already in their circle of influence. The statistics say that there are three to ten people in your immediate circle of influence. Do all of them know Jesus? More than likely they don't, unless you're like me and you're a professional Christian. I work with Christians, I think. I hope. <laughs> I'm teasing, that was a joke, you missed it. But our hope and our prayer is that you would share the gospel with your one. But one part of this journey is going to be committing to pray for that one every single day. And so your prayer guide that you have, that's what it's for. There's 21 day, days of focus where you'll have a scripture reading and then a simple prayer that you can pray and insert the name of your one. You can start that today or you can start it tomorrow because this is going to lead us all the way up to Easter weekend. And so the challenge doesn't just stop with identifying who your one is. It isn't just a take the gospel to your one because we have another part that we want to include in this journey together. And that's an invitation. We want you to invite. No, don't just invite. But bring your one with you to our Easter services on Sunday. Don't just casually do an invite, but say, will you go with me to church on Easter? And I'll take you out to lunch afterwards. Make an investment. And one thing is certain. They will hear the gospel. They're going to see some Christians get fired up about Jesus who is our living hope, and who knows, maybe, just maybe, they'll pass from death to life. Because a missional church is focused on eternal things. We say all the things that we say. We preach all of the messages that we preach to equip you to be a missional Christian. I am not okay with us just being a church that goes through the motions. I am not okay with country club Christianity. We cannot be that kind of church. As we think back to our text from Psalm 1, we see those two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. And we cannot read those verses. You cannot read Psalm 1 and not consider the lost that are around us. They don't have to stay lost, and they don't have to stay wicked, and they don't have to stay godless. They can be saved. And for the Christian, 
Plant your life next to the living water and allow him to bear fruit in you. Because a missional church is focused on eternal things. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Just for a simple moment of focus. Maybe you're here this morning and you have not passed from death to life. Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time that you have ever heard about this eternal destination for those the Bible calls wicked or godless. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard that that you're living and you're walking as a dead person who is separated from God and that when you take your final breath on this planet that you are going to slip from, from, from here into eternity separated from God. That the penalty for sin and wickedness and godlessness is separation from God who is holy and pure and spotless forever in a place called hell. Maybe this is the first time you've heard that. But the good news is, God is a merciful, compassionate God. And he could have said, forget you all, I don't want you. But he says, I want you, and all you have to do is repent and call on me to save you. And I will save you, and I will make you new, and I will breathe life into your lifeless soul. And life on earth will be different, but it's so much better than that. Because there's eternity with me and my people. And so maybe you didn't know that Jesus Christ came and he lived the sinless life that you couldn't even come close to. And that he gave himself to pay for your sins so that you could receive that eternal life. And maybe you're here this morning. And you've never called on him to save you. Don't wait. Do it right now. Call on him to save you. And maybe you have questions and maybe you have concerns. Please come find me at the end of this service or find another pastor. Or tap the shoulder of the person next to you and ask them, how can I know Jesus as my Savior? And I can promise you, they can tell you or tell you where you can go to talk to someone. But don't leave here today with any question about eternity. And if you are a Christian today and you call West Hill home, who's your one? Who will you bring with you on Easter Sunday? Who will you pray for tomorrow? Who will you share the gospel with? When you have the first opportunity, I'm praying for you that God would give you wisdom and strength and boldness to stand firm, to battle the fear that is going to come your way, and that you will be faithful to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Heavenly Father, we are grateful and thankful this morning for the living hope that we have. God, you are our living hope. Lord, you are good, and you are faithful, and you are kind, and you are compassionate, you are long-suffering. You love us, and you care for us, and you gave your life for us. 
We stand here today forgiven because of the good news of the gospel. And Lord, we know that you desire that all people would be saved. So God, I pray that you would use us, that you would equip us with the right words and the right timing to proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who need it. Lord, thank you for making a way for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.